But uh, remember our Patreon drive. We have five signed copies of Hal Weitzman's book, What's the Matter with Delaware? We just spoke to him. Amazing conversation. Guess what? He's going to be potentially interjecting himself in the Delaware legislative process. How about that? Because would it be would it surprise you, dear listeners, to know that the state of New York, where also many, many, many corporations are registered, is right now considering in their state legislature and legislature in Albany transparency for corporations. Oh yes, my friends, we might, we're going to be talking about this a lot more than just one time. So if you want to get one of the signed copies of the book, you become a, a Patreon member, five dollars a month or more. If you're already a $5 a month patron, you're already in. On June 15th, we're going to pull names out of hat. And we're going to send you a signed copy of the book. So, patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Left is best. From the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. This is your Highlands Bunker Podcast. Uh, This is Rob. We're in the Bunker Studio. Carl is here. uh, And what we're going to do today is something uh, a little like a refresher. Uh, It's just Carl and me. Uh, We're going to hang out a bit. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, working families party stuff. Um, I know we mentioned it tangentially about this person's doing work for the working families, some candidates are endorsed by the Working Families Party, and we've talked about it around, um, but there's been a lot of growth, actually, in the last year or so, so we want to talk about that, too, and specifically uh, what other areas they're working on now that more people have been organized and more people have uh, have joined the fight. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, we'll talk about some Delaware stories we haven't talked about, and we'll, we'll gossip on people and, and, uh, and make them feel bad. So that should be fun. So, Carl, what's going on generally? How are you doing? Doing well, you know we're in the uh, very much in the home stretch now because we got primaries on September thirteenth. We got end of legislative session on June thirtieth. So, out of like the last two years, these next four months are I think are going to be the most fun. So just buckling down, buckling down in general. Fun. So your definition of fun and my definition of fun are I think are two different things. They're they're two very different things. I think the yeah. last day because you know I. I never followed, even when I was like, I sort of said like before the Eugene campaign, I was marginally left. Yeah. And I voted and I followed the news. But the one thing I couldn't stomach was following like the ins and outs of leg hall because it just seemed like the most boring people, the biggest dipshits. Um, that last day, that the June 30th, when they got to get all the stuff done, yeah. and they're there, and people are calling. I'm like, I, I don't know. It just it seemed like something I couldn't I couldn't stomach. <laughs> it's it requires like a personality that's very into gossip, but also very boring, because it is. There's a lot of inside politics stuff that like it requires you kind of knowing enough of the people there and being willing to like. Be like, oh, did you hear what this person's gonna do or what this person's doing? Like, literally, just earlier today, we were talking about a certain bill going through, and it's like, oh, well, it's all gonna come down to if this person, this person get along. And it's like, it's extremely frustrating, which is also part of what I think drives me towards it because that's just the defining feeling of our age is frustration. But it's, you know, 
you know, if, if you got a little bit of gossip in you, there's um. Yeah, I mean, I have gossip, but I also like. But you have standards. I yeah, I have st- standards of gossip, and then face to face, like gossip is fun. But if like I'm face to face with somebody, you know, I want to I want to bully them. Yes. I want to like like I I want to like get make them feel bad. Like I do with Przicki when I see Przicki. I saw him driving his car, and he was pulling up to a stop sign in the neighborhood, and he saw me, and I saw him, so he tried to like roll through and go. But I know he was looking, so I, I flipped him off in the in the mirror because I just want to make him feel bad. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know, like I know that that's like a childish gesture, but I also know that it'll make him upset, and so I have to weigh those two things. And like I just don't see myself down there, like listening to some of these people speak without being like, "You're the dumbest fucking person I ever heard." Like I'm surprised there aren't more like. Well, let's you know what? Let's talk about it because I'd like to get your. We never got your reaction to it, but there was a clip going around, and I think it got put up on one of the blogs too. Yes, of uh, of Spiegelman. Is it Spiegelman? Spiegelman, Jeff Spiegelman, Jeff Spiegelman, representing Has... the eleventh representative district, which is like lower Townsend down to like mid Kent County, like the farm parts. Right. So like rural Kent. Yep. So if if everybody's not familiar with this, there's some sort of hearing. You know, it's just nondescript. I can give the background to this if you want. Oh, yeah, because I don't even know what they were arguing. So can you lead up to, like, what it is? So the, yeah, the House Housing Committee um, is sort of a uniquely dysfunctional group of people. I don't know if it's just, like, that's where they've everybody put, but it's just, it always seems to have all the drama happen because actually a few weeks before, during the SB 101, the Tenants' Right to Counsel hearing, that's when you had Stephanie Bolden get very worked up over... Uh, the targeting of her over her SB 101 vote the previous year. And she like brought receipt. She brought this mailer. She brought the stuff. She brought the minutes from the previous meeting and had everybody read them. And she just like started, you know, talking about it, yelling, slams that stuff down and storms out of the meeting. So now, the, now, the House okay. Housing Committee is always right. For so l- l- let me just ask you a quick question just before you move on to this topic, this Housing Committee meeting. Like that's one of those ones where I would just be like yelling, like, yeah, get the hell out, you sell out. Like, just start fucking yelling uh-huh. at her. Like, I feel like people come in and cry about how they're treated. And really, in the real world, what would happen is everybody piles on that person until they quit, mm-hmm. which is what I think should happen. But, like, it's it seems like that person gets like, oh, oh, we're, we got to be, I can't believe we sent this mailer out, explained that she took money from BPG. Oh, I feel, I don't feel bad. Fuck her. But in any her, case, the, like I think I, her point, which tactically I think could make sense, is that, you know, she was sort of the most vocal, I think, opponent, so to speak, of SB 101 at that point. But technically, she was not the only one who killed it. So Frank Cook and Kim Williams also voted to, to table it, which right. Kim Williams has now come around. She voted to release, but uh, Frank Cook is still potentially. Well, Frank Cook's just a disgraceful yeah. person. But I guess what I'm saying Whereas Bolden is like, also voted to but, kill it again. Correct. So I guess what I'm saying is that I, I never liked that um, that rationale is like, well, you know, there's actually three. Like, why am I getting all of it when these But other, you should just vote the just, right way. Just vote the right way. Who cares? Yeah. It's not it's none of your like you don't get to pick like which of the three assholes gets the most heat. Um, you and don't. she represents the biggest renter district in the state. Like it's something like two thirds of the people yeah. in the district rent, which means you know, she should just support the interests of her constituents, which I think is why she was particularly targeted. Because Kim Williams and 
Frank Cook, both Democratic districts, but definitely a lot less renters than you do have in Bolton's district, which is why that decision was made. Correct. I mean, uh, and and the other thing is she knows that. Yes. Her, well, her and her team know for a fact know. that the I, decision I never assume ma- that anybody in legislative hall knows anything. Well, then somebody should just tell her, look, you have a lot of renters in your district and you sold out. So either grow up or bring a box of tissues to the next one because no one's going to stop. Like, like, this is the way things work. And if, if, if you or no one on your team knows why you were singled out for this bad thing, then you should go – then stop printing out tweets and reading them and go fucking figure out what's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, nobody's like, yeah, okay, you, you can cry about you got it more than this other person. You know what? Tough shit. But in any case, I, I was wondering like how those, um, how those sort of blow-ups are handled because that's my key to just bully somebody right out of the – Right out of the right out of dodge, but let's get to this the Spiegelman. Okay. So this was so last week. This is housing week. housing committee. House housing committee. House housing. Committee. So, um, to I'll set the scene here. So it's um, I believe this was a one o'clock meeting or a twelve o'clock meeting. It was a meeting shortly before they were supposed to go into session, um, and there was like six bills on the agenda, including like two or three ones that were going to require a lot of discussion. Like there was property reassessment, there was a landlord mitigation fund, and then. There was a spill, which was SB 90, which is basically prevents landlords from being able to discriminate based on source of income, which functionally what that means is that if someone has a Section 8 voucher, um, you are not allowed to discriminate based on that, which right. happens fairly often. Yes, right I'm, I'm, I know just in <coughs> things I've read, people we've talked to, I know that's, uh, that's often done. Yes. So, yeah, so there was this bill, um, which is, I think, a Tizzy Lockman Ray Moore bill. Uh, and, you know, property tax reassessment gets through, and now we're on to, you know, SB 90. And, you know, we're already at, like, 15, 10, 15 minutes before the session's supposed to start, so people are like, okay, we got to go. Uh, but Jeff Spiegelman, he's a big fan of the landlords. Uh, he was getting, he's very not happy about this bill. He does not want to have to rent to, I don't know if he's a landlord himself, or he just knows a lot of landlords, but was very concerned about, you know, the very specifics of what this bill would and would not allow you to do. He was asking a bunch of questions like, well, if it was this or that. Um, and so at a certain point, uh, you know, he's get he's already kind of worked up about this just as a concept. And then... Respectfully, can we just stick to SB90 because... No, I, I think we can since you've already identified this as a okay. companion bill. It's because you can see the video, which we have all this now, which is huge improvement over a few years ago when you would not have had access to any of this other than maybe audio. Uh, and so you can see um, you got Bud Friel there who just like buries his head, like hides his face from the camera as much as possible and just like puts his head down. Uh, you have Bolden actually gets up um, to her credit and it's like starts to walk over if anything has to happen. Well, you uh, saw, then, you saw course, who was ready. I mean, the biggest thing was, of course, Larry Lambert gets up and says, point of order, point of order. You need to calm down. Point Like he was, you know, he got up and he's like, I don't think he was going to fight him or anything, but just sort of like was trying to diffuse that situation because it was a it was a pretty violent freak out in terms of like, you know, he's thrown like stuff. Yeah, it was definitely over the line in terms of behavior. But it's like he's kind of, you know, I, he's kind of like Delroy Ben Shapiro 
Like he's sort of he's a baby. You know, he's kind of logic facts and logic guy, squeaky voice sometimes. Um, but yeah, so he storms out. I mean, it wasn't I wouldn't call it intimidating, but it was definitely worrying. Well, here's the thing: uh, the way I watched it was you see the freak out, and I couldn't see like I didn't see um, Bud or the chair or um, who all the, the other elected officials you just mentioned because I'm watching him do his freak out and then the next thing I see is Larry stand Larry up, who, up. Was, who was who was near him maybe three two or three seats down the table yeah once Larry I mean if anybody has met Larry Lambert in, in real life he's he's a big guy yeah we love big guys and so seeing him get up I'm like okay he's he's gonna you know and he was, and but he, but he just stood his ground and was like, "You gotta, you gotta get your act." Together. Yeah, I mean, he just, he didn't, he didn't like really move at Jeff. He just stood up and was just like, "Yeah, he didn't make any, was, he didn't make any aggressive moves." Just in case other Spiegelman was that. about to like freak out on people, like he was just yeah. up just to make sure. But yeah, Spiegelman basically immediately walked out, and Larry just kind of stood there and, you know, was trying to get a point of order. <laughs> the goofiest shit. And again, I have all the, the people my... to do that. Like Jeff Spiegelman is not. <sighs> well, it's not surprising because he's always a little. He's always doing weird stuff on the floor and yeah, stuff like that. I mean, but. if if there's one thing I think that if I could impart a bit of knowledge, anyone listening to this or that has the opportunity to to attend these uh, these meetings and hearings, or they know elected officials and they can talk to them, this is the time where this guy should be bullied right out of leg hall. Uh, we should be doing gags and practical jokes. We should be stuffing him in the locker. We should be, you know, uh, you know putting him in the trash can, stealing his lunch money, all that stuff. Uh, because these, because let's remember, he had a fit because they're trying, he doesn't want to rent to working class and poor people. Like le- whether it's his property or that's the interest he's, he's uh, you know, uh, representing. He got in a fit and acted like a baby in a legislative hearing so that he could argue that we should make it harder to house poor people. Just keep that in your mind. And now, go out and bully him wherever you see him. Make his life hell. Fuck that guy. Yeah, but that was funny that it hit the... Uh, it hit, got, got a little wider play. Because I guess, like you said, now that we have video, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a thing. It helps. It's, yeah, no kidding. So let's get into the working families party stuff. Um, I th- you you gave a, a somewhat of a background before just the, the difference between sort of advocacy organizing and community organizing nonprofit, and you know just that you were doing some policy stuff and some campaign stuff. But since the last time we talked, it's sort of uh, gotten much bigger and much more diversified. So give us the give us the full update. Yeah. So I guess for those who aren't familiar with the Working Families Party. So the National Working Families Party started in New York back in the 90s. It was a coalition of like labor and community groups, um, you know, some of the local unions, the uh, Acorn chapter, all that stuff. Um, we actually did have a Delaware WFP in like 2008 for like one or two campaign cycles because AFL-CIO and Delaware Acorn actually got together, endorsed some candidates, but it was back when we had fusion voting. So it was like a weird mix of Democrats and Republicans. Uh, and then as soon as fusion voting got banned in 2010, it just kind of died out. Um, but, you know, after Kerry's race, Kerry got endorsed by National WFP. 
did she? And I don't remember fusion. Explain fusion voting to me because I was here. I was voting fusion voting because yeah, I was yeah. voting here. And I don't know what I was doing now. So basically, you know, if you go to the, your polling place and you get the ballot, there's several lines. So there's a Democratic Party line, Republican Party line. Sometimes it'll be independent or libertarian, anything like that. Right. So basically, Working Families Party had a party line. And normally, you just each party nominates one candidate for each office. So that is selected in a primary. Uh, in some states, it's a, a convention or something. But, you know, you select a candidate in a primary, and then that one candidate is the one uh, candidate for that party. Uh, whereas in fusion voting, you're able to run on multiple tickets. So someone can be running as a Democrat, but also as a Working Families Party candidate. And so you vote for them just on one line, but then the votes on the different lines add up to their total vote. So I was doing that, but I I, I think I remember there being like running on different lines. Yeah. But I don't remember the Working Families Party specifically. And I guess because it was not, only around for a little bit of time. And they weren't organizing the way you guys. I, I mean, I didn't. I, I mean, I'm sure I met, uh, you know, somebody. You know, they said that they they endorsed Carrie. So this was so after 20, 2010. So 2010, that that fusion. So that stuff that kind of died out, and like you know, there's people who were involved in that who are still around. They're just doing other stuff now. Um, but yeah, so at that point, WP starts to sort of transition over to a more like progressive activist model, and opposed to just very institutional. Uh, and so you get in 2018, they endorse Carrie Evelyn Harris, who's running this campaign against Dom Carper, and a lot of people from like Pennsylvania Working Families Party kind of start to come down here. I mean, we've interviewed Vanessa before. Uh, she was, you know, kind of helping manage that campaign for the last few months. Um, and then, you know, Carrie's campaign brought a lot of new people in. Uh, I didn't come in through that. I mean, I supported her, but I was involved in another campaign. But a lot of people involved in that campaign, some of the other progressive campaigns, you know, Eugene's campaign in 2016 formed Left or Delaware, which I think we've maybe mentioned once or twice, but basically just you know, recruits and coaches candidates, uh, sort of similar to the network model, but just for campaigns. Uh, but then, you know, some of the people who were supported by Left or Delaware were like Medina Wilson-Anton and Larry Lambert, Eric Morrison, Murray Pinckney. So because so many of those people had already been involved in WFP during that race, WFP basically co-endorsed a bunch of our candidates that we'd done through Leftward. And we had a lot of success. Like, unfortunately, Jess lost and a couple city people lost. But, like, all of our site legislative endorsements won. Uh, but everybody had kind of gone off on these campaigns, so there wasn't really much of leftward anymore. So we decided, hey, let's become a chapter of the Working Families Party. Let's sort of reestablish Delaware Working Families Party. And so that happened, like, late 2020, early 2021. And then I actually got hired on as an official staffer at that point. Uh, and we've been going ever since. Yeah, I mean, it was cool to see, and I met, I thought about it uh, once last week because there was a photo of one of the big uh, primary winners, one of the big progressive primary winners was sitting with uh, Alexandra Rojas from mm. Justice Democrats. And I mentioned that um, she lived in a, the room we're sitting in right now yeah. uh, for a month. But the other person who uh, who uh, crashed here a few times and was was around all the time was Vanessa. That's how I met her. Yep. I remember uh, I remember Drew calling me on the phone and saying, "We have people coming down to do field. You're going to meet these people. Can you put somebody up?" And we had already said that we would. Yeah. And yeah, so Vanessa was here and then got switched in to uh, with to Alex Rojas and some of her. Uh, 
people came down later on, like the last two weeks. Um, but yeah, I, that just seeing that stuff and how it's built. I mean, you guys have had growth just over the last year, right? Just yeah. organizing people, doing different stuff. I mean, what's what, what kind of growth have you seen? What have you been able to do with those people you're organizing? Yeah, so we started out, you know, basically it was just like some just people, a couple other small campaign people. But like our first really big thing was like 15 back in uh, 2021, which that was like the thing that we did. And then we like, I think we helped out a couple school board candidates. But as, you know, the session's gone on, as we've gotten more experience, as we've gotten more people, we've tried to, grow so we're doing you know several issue campaigns now we were trying to get involved in Leobor, so we built these connections with various policing groups uh tenants right to council which we can maybe talk about later because um not great things happening with that but uh also we're a part of the delaware cares coalition we did some door knocking around that uh and yeah just as we've grown we've also tried to get more people involved in both the issue side of things and also the electoral side of things so we haven't made official endorsements but we've been coaching 2022 candidates since last june so we've been working with close very closely with a lot of candidates and making sure they're all running like these really strong grassroots campaigns that are going to do that kind of voter contact that you really need to both bring new people in and then actually win the races because of that um but like the goal is not just to pass this policy or that policy or win this election or that election but sort of the the term that we use is we want to build governing power and so that means that you're not just winning one election, but you're building the infrastructure to win multiple elections. And you're also then building that structure to hold people accountable and run these issues and run these bills in a way that builds your capacity to win elections and then running these elections in a way that builds your capacity to pass bills. And these are like mutually supportive ideas. And all of that is done by trying to get people involved at that grassroots level, get them knocking on doors, have them meeting, building their skills and other stuff like that. Yeah, well, take a note on the the, the renters' uh, uh, tenants' right to council, because you have an update. But I very I, fun update. I, I can I can already tell the way that you're looking. I know I'm going to need I'm going to need to smoke again before this is over. Um. Now, what the, what question was I going to ask you? I forget. Oh, <clears throat> I was just going to point out that when when we see this, uh, you know, when you think of a of our our typical corporate Delaware way politician. Uh, they don't talk like this. The reason they don't talk like this is because they don't want to do any of it. Like, I can assure you that the people who are, are working with the, uh, the Working Families Party and they're getting training, whether they're going to be a candidate or whether they're going to be on a campaign or whether they're going to work uh, to support uh, a policy set, they want to go do these things. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I know it's sort of a subtle point but the, the way you need to differentiate, if somebody had an opportunity to do something and they didn't and they want to blame somebody else because there's a filibuster or because of this or, you know, that just gives them an excuse not to have to say anything. The, the Working Families Party and, the, and the, the people that they're organizing and training are not like this. And um, I guess we sort of were talking when we were talking to Jonathan about this differentiation. How can we differentiate these two things that have... Uh, have melded in people's minds. Yeah, you know, a Democrat is this. They kind of suck. Some people think, well, they're better than reactionary. Some people think they're cucks. Some people think they're worthless. Whatever they, ever, all of that's melded together in people's minds. And now we have to figure out a way because we're working within sort of that 
larger structure. Yeah. To differentiate. That's my biggest, like, like the high, high sort of abstract question is how do we work within the Democratic Party but differentiate from the kind of candidate you're talking about and the kind of Democratic candidate that's our largest political enemy? Yeah, and I think you're seeing a general shift in terms of what people are really expecting from their candidates over time. So, I mean, we were talking, you know, in the DSA episode about, you know, the results in Pennsylvania, which I think uh, showed that what people think of as electable and what people think of as desirable is definitely changing. So, I mean, you know, I was out on I was out on the day of for Malcolm Kenyatta, who I think is great, uh, but Fetterman is not, you know, He's not Connor Lamb in a lot of ways. And he like he's definitely have a different vision of what he's saying. But then you also had down ballot. You had a lot of victories. You had uh Summer Lee. Summer Lee, out. that's the one person we I don't think we talked about. Well yeah. what I thought was maybe one of the biggest wins of the of the of yeah. the night. And I mean, that was a lot closer than it should have been, but it was because of all that money that got spent. But it does show that like solid organizing in one area, because that is the culmination of her twenty eighteen win. It's the culmination of a mayoral win in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. I forget which one. Uh, it's the culmination of a lot of local wins that built up to this larger win, which I think is hopefully a lesson for us here in Delaware. Um, and it also, you know, shows that that kind of organizing can beat out big money because I think it was something like $4 million got spent in super PAC ads. You know, absolutely. Absurd. I was, you know, I was at the polls and then also texting on my phone uh, to like do GOTV for her. Um, and I had a few people who mentioned like, oh, I saw some ads saying that she's not really a Democrat or this or that. And as soon as you respond to be like, well, and these are just super PACs that are spending this money. They're actually funded by Republicans, a lot of them. People are just mean to like, oh, yeah, no, that's dumb, which is that's the downside of those sorts of ads is that they're very shallow. But if you do a shallow coverage of a lot of area that maybe, you know, when you're knocking doors, you hit maybe 20 percent of people. And then if you do it a lot of times, you maybe get up to 50 percent. So, like, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to vote that maybe someone hasn't talked to them. And if that's their main impression, then, like, yeah, that's going to be a problem. But if you do have that deeper organizing, then you can overcome it. I think that's what that win shows. But also that people, Democrats, especially in these more blue areas, are now like, okay, I want someone who's actually going to fight. And you saw even, like, state Senate, state House seats, same thing happened. And then out in um, Oregon, you had yes. uh, the progressive won the governor race. You had— the progressive um, won that uh, primary with the crypto, bro. Uh, with the crypto bro, yeah, the guy, another one, spent millions of dollars, but still lost just horribly. And then, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right, but uh, Jamie McLeod Skinner, who ran against Kurt Schrader, um, you had a lot of, and you know, I'll, I'll shout out the indivisible groups. A lot of local indivisible groups decided, like, hey, this guy's a Democrat. He got endorsed by Biden, but he's not good. Like, he isn't doing what he needs to do to actually push things forward. And so they went with this very progressive candidate who ran against him. Uh, and so those results are not going to be finalized for a while. But I think it shows that, like, even in the Democratic base and even in the people that, like, maybe aren't our number one base, like, you know, people who are maybe a little bit wealthier, people who, you know, they voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016 or maybe they voted for Warren or Biden in 2020. But even they're just getting fed up by the way things are going and honestly the way that the party is handling itself right now. And something like the Working Families Party can come in and say, whether we're running just people in primaries, whether we're running occasionally people in the third party or in a fusion line, um, that like we have to be this force that's accountable to the people and not to the existing system. Because we started from outside the system, the you know, the existing system. We're working outside the system. We're trying to build this new thing. And 
that's going to lead us to actually take positions that are popular, um, which is pretty cool in a democracy because sometimes that means you actually win. Yeah. I mean, I think um, this is why I'm so excited if we can ever get things done in Delaware that have like a that are big ticket things that people can get really excited about, which could happen uh, if we have another co- couple good uh, election cycles. Yeah. Then people start to say, oh, yeah, the thing that thing is pretty good. You know, you did do this good thing. And I, I, I fail to see, you know, reactionary sort of arguments. They're not going to pan out. They'll go on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, so we'll fight some other area we never even thought of because, you know, we have to have it like it was it's like the 19th century still or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely see a shift. It's in there. It's 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 happening in some places and for kind of different reasons. But I, that's the, I think that's the biggest just messaging political discourse, especially in campaigns and electoral politics, is that differentiation. Like, I mean, I don't want to say it because I I think I'm gonna this is gonna be one of the disappointing ones. But like, is Cisneros does she have any traction? I mean, with, with this with with Cuellar being pro life, and this Alito uh, opinion leaking, and then there was you know Summerlee and all the big big victories we just talked about. Bernie went down uh, with Jessica Cisneros in Texas. Yeah. And, like, and the, and the, the only people helping Quayar are Nancy Pelosi, uh, the guy from South Carolina, and, uh, yeah, and just the APAC, probably. So, just like they got in, in Pennsylvania. So, like, I, I, we got to start winning some of these. Yeah. Like, because that's, that's one where, un, unlike trying to make a differentiation maybe here with somebody like Chris Coons, who's really just as bad as Henry Cuellar. I mean, people don't want to accept. People aren't ready for that conversation, but that's a fact. Um, it's harder to make that here. But that one's very stark. The differences are very clear, yes. especially now. And so I'm, I, I really, you know, I, I feel like it's still a long shot, but it would be nice. Yeah, I think, because I know based on the polling, she had sort of, was losing ground after the runoff because she was down by a little bit. Uh, though the Roe v. Wade decision, I think, has definitely helped her because now people, Democrats are like, hey, this is something we might actually have to fight on for once. Um, so, like, maybe we should have someone there who's not, who is on our side of the fight. Obviously, the Texas border is, and it's not just the Texas border, but it's a little bit more of a conservative area. You got a lot of, like, working class Catholic, Hispanic immigrants. A lot of them work in, like, border enforcement or they work in coal and gas. A lot, so them, a lot of them voted for Trump. Yeah. So that's an area that's going to the right. So I'm I'm still worried, you know, honestly, regardless of who wins, that, that there's a chance that goes Republican, depending on how Democratic general approvals go over the next few months. But I think she has a shot, though. I guess we'll, we're recording this today before that runoff, so we'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see. Um, so let's, last last big thing before we get real mad. This We'll just do this. And you might not be comfortable having this conversation, but Unfortunately, I, I see no way around it because of the things that we said. Mm-hmm. And it's probably better that it's just us that way. We don't get anybody else in trouble. Although, <clears throat> neither one of us is Jewish. But I, I don't really think that matters. And the, the reason it doesn't matter uh-huh. is because we're not really talking about that. Because that's who uh, really went after <coughs> Summer Lee. Oh, okay. Uh, APAC and affiliated groups. That's who... 
And one of the things that Fetterman is just awful about is he just equivocated on Israel. But I feel like he didn't want the Summer Lee treatment. He just wanted smooth sailing, so mm-hmm. he did that move. Um, but, you know, uh, they, they assassinated a journalist uh, in the West Bank a couple weeks ago. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're raising neighborhoods uh, at pace. Uh, so, and you get to watch ethnic cleansing now on TikTok, which is a very interesting thing to do. Uh, like, we're going to have to have this conversation in one way or another. I've said it before. I was alive when um, the apartheid regime started to fall in South Africa. It, it actually did a lot to um, sort of uh, advise my politics. Uh, it was an influence on me, which is one of the reasons that Mandela is such a big hero of mine and Ronnie Casaroles. Ronnie Casaroles is a, a South African Jew, by the way, just letting everybody know. Um, we can't have we can't have an apartheid state streaming live to the internet that we're funding. We can't have it. And so, how do, how do we how do we deal with this? How do we do it? How do we get around? I mean, because I think I mean there are certainly plenty of American Jew. Most American Jews are are. Left as we are, almost, or at least, at least a progressive and liberal, um, the majority. <clears throat> um, but we can't. I just watched. I, I just watched another video today, so I'm a little bit like worked mm-hmm. up about it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't see how we can continue to allow. Um, I can, and we're funding it all. I, I don't see how we can continue to allow it. Yeah, that's one where. And I, I, the role of like APAC and Democratic majority. And I only Israel bring this up and, because, uh, yeah, this is one of those issues. This is one of in those. The Democratic primaries t- is interesting. Yes. Because it, I think we've ended up in this situation. Obviously, you know, we're still, we're, what, 10, 12 years into the Citizens United era. And there was this, you know, after sort of the Bernie Sanders race, I think there was a scrambling of like, how do you respond to sort of small dollar donors that are funding these campaigns that ended up actually outraising the establishment people. Like that's actually started to happen in recent years where the progressive challengers are often outraising the people that they're running against, whether they be an incumbent or just a moderate in a primary. And I think there's been for a few years, there was kind of a gap in the funding opposition to that because most of like the big business groups that would otherwise be backing them are just, most of them are just Republicans now. And because to win a Democratic primary post-2016, honestly, you have to have at least a bit of an anti, not anti-corporate, but more of a center-left view on things. To like, oh, we got to tax corporations, this and that. Like, if you look at you know, even someone like a Chantel Brown or people who win these open primaries against a more progressive candidate, like, a lot of times they will join the progressive, the Congressional Progressive Caucus. They will maybe even sometimes sign on to like a Medicare for all or this or that, like they are kind of forced into this position of being more left wing than the vast majority of Democrats 10 years ago. And so it seems like to me, and this is, I, I'm not a super close following of all, follower of all this stuff, but since Israel has become a bigger issue with, um, you know, people, you know, you get some of the DSA types in Congress that actually it becomes a live issue for those people. Um, that I just think it never was. Well, obviously it was an issue among activist circles well before, but it was just sort of a guaranteed 
a given thing in um, in U.S. government. So now that there is a chance that that sort of hegemonic idea is going to be challenged, you know, those groups have been able to step in. Groups that fund usually, um, they'll fund Democrats and Republicans like APAC, um, but are generally on the more conservative bend. Because there's association with these progressive challengers with like a DSA, with WFP, with groups that are generally more in support of Palestine, they can sort of fill in even though Summerlee's race had zero to do with Israel-Palestine policy. It is not going to affect anything with Israel-Palestine policy, whether either one of them won. Like that's just sort of the realistic thing. But because there are a lot of people who donate to APAC, that donate to this, that have a lot of money. Um, and actually, and... The other group that's filled in here is like the crypto people, which I think that might be a bit of a flash in the pan given how crypto prices are going. Given, yeah. But <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to have to assemble this ragtag group of people that otherwise might not get that involved because they need this sort of funding source that can go against like Nina Turner outraged Chantel Brown in her first primary. Uh, Summer Lee raised a good amount of money to start out with. Um, and I'm definitely, because I'm not Jewish, but I have, my grandma's Jewish. I grew up with a lot of Jewish people. Um, you know, close a lot of close Jewish family friends. I know very, people on various sides of the issue. Like, I have some people that are like socialists, except they're progressive, except Palestine types. Like, they're very, very pro-Israel. Like, lived in kibbutzes when they were young, like that kind of stuff, and like very pro-Israel. Now to this point, but then I have you know younger friends who are like extremely anti-Zionist, but also Jewish. Um, and I shouldn't say but also Jewish, anti-Zionist and also Jewish, because I don't think those are conflicting ideas at all. Um. But it's definitely, like, you know, things like the Holocaust, things like the pogroms, th these are still very, very recent in a lot of people's cultural memory. And people get jumpy whenever, especially, I mean, that's very recent. That's But then also, like, these anti-Medic students. So I understand where people in yeah. good faith might see, like, okay, oh, look, the Jews are spending all this money to win this election, how that might come off as anti-Semitic. Yeah, I'm but, not— Which is why I also do want to clarify and, that, like, yeah, that's not it's what not we're talking because about. of them. Right. It's no, not because of them. First of all, it's not because of them. And it's and not I, Jews pulling the strings I, or anything. It's just— And I don't— this Look, is the, the majority— the, Yeah, the majority of American Jews are, are vote, in the Democrat, vote for the Democratic Party who vote, who are, you know, politically active. So I, I don't think it has anything to do with it. My concern is, well, my concern sort of goes to what you said. When you have living relatives or you had living relatives that told you firsthand accounts of pogroms and ethnic cleansing, um, you would think that seeing, a, uh, seeing an armed force ethnically cleanse neighborhoods would actually make you feel – would make you feel that viscerally but it's like when they're doing it for us then it's okay because it's the same thing that's yeah. a so they go I'd... into a neighborhood they clear everybody out everybody who resists uh are, are treated with violence sometimes deadly violence they uh they bulldoze a neighborhood and then they put a settlement there where the people who the 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 israelis the jews who live there live by a different set of rules than the people down the street that they haven't cleansed yet it's just apartheid by by pogrom and and by violence. And so if 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 part of your spirit or your soul has that pain in it, you'd think you'd be more sensitive to what's happening. 
All right, we'll hold that thought because here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to get into our Tenants' Bill of Rights and Tenants' Right to Counsel. But the first thing is your, your humble host here, REV, needs to grab one of the very strong beers to get through it. Because I saw, I saw Carl's eyes light up when he said he was going to tell the story, and I just feel like it's going gonna, it's gonna to get me. Delirium by Tremis. I'm gonna, I feel like this is going to make me go delirious. We'll see. So catch me up. My understanding was that there was in some fashion someone from Holmes and from Classy, which is like the assistance legal aid yeah. thing, in the JP courts so that people, they were there to like, so they, they knew that they had a service there. And so there was some workaround happening where this was happening in tenants court. And I know that there was more of a package to sort of like extend this or codify it in some fashion. Um, that's that's sort of where my head's at. That's that's my basic summary. So, what's happening? Okay, so I can give sort of the full background on this one. So, right now you have a legal right to representation in criminal cases. You do not have that in uh, civil cases, which means for things like evictions and anything in landlord-tenant relations, you do not have. Neither side has access to or has a right to legal um, legal representation. So, uh, obviously, landlords are generally more able to get it because they generally have more money. Uh, and they also have access to a, I always forget, I think Article 50 or something 50 agent, which is not technically a lawyer, so they don't have to have, but they go through the training. They have access to these things. So, you end up with something like 70, 80% of landlords being represented in eviction court with about 2% of tenants. Um and, you know, because of that, you end up with a lot more people getting evicted, a lot of whom maybe didn't have to get evicted. Um, and so right now, you can apply for legal aid if you're being evicted. And they're, I know, trying to expand, obviously, to get more people represented with free legal aid. But uh, a lot of cities across the country have been trying to introduce tenants right to counsel, which basically expands and increases state funding for legal aid in eviction cases so that everybody making under a certain amount has uh you know if they go if they if their landlord files eviction they have a guaranteed right to legal representation so there was a push for this in delaware and actually last may the bill got introduced it flew through the senate it was um brian townsend was the senate sponsor so that went through pretty quick i think it was like a 13 to 8 vote, so like Spiros Mancevinos voted no on it for some reason, but otherwise it got through fine. Um, everybody's favorite Spiros Mancevinos. Uh, big, big, big Greek guy. He's a big Greek guy. Yeah. And so, la so made it through that, great. And then in the House, it got stalled in everybody's favorite House Housing Committee, as we were talking about earlier, because um, Stephanie Bolden raised a stink about it, Frank Koch raised a stink about it, Kim Williams was like hedging on it, so there was a motion to so when you're in committee, you can either release it or you can table it. Uh, they motion to table it, which basically just means, okay, we're just not dealing with this right now. And a lot of times, if you don't deal with it right now, that just means you're never going to deal with it again. But, uh, so this had sat, you know, all over this fall because they were in session. And then I believe it was April. They finally bring it back after like a year and say, okay, we're going to have another vote on this. Stephanie Bolden stormed out, so she didn't vote for it, but everybody else, every other Democrat voted for it, so it gets out of committee. Um, but then 
there's a funny little thing in the legislature where if your bill is going to cost more than $100,000, then it has to go into the House Appropriations Committee. The makeup of the House Appropriations Committee, I'll, I'll list off the names. You got the chair is our good friend, Bill Carson, uh, who represents Smyrna. He is former firefighter, I believe. He's the nephew of Bruce Ennis. Um, conservative guy, uh, very close to leadership, and not great on a lot of stuff. Then you have Stephanie Bolden, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, then you also have Kim Williams, who was someone who voted from a no to a yes on the bill before. And then you have Dave Bentz. We love love Dave Bentz. Um, I mean, we've talked about Dave Bentz. I love Dave Bentz. You have, I like Dave Bentz. You have conflicted feelings on Dave Bentz no, sometimes. No, I think that only the story I tell about Bentz is just... It's uh, illustrative. It's, yes. I don't I don't think that has any, anything to do with particularly with Dave Bentz. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and then it's Kevin Hensley and Ruth Briggs King on the Republican side um, with Kevin Hensley being a realtor. Um, Kim Williams is also a realtor, though is willing to move on some stuff. Uh, is or was? I'm not sure. But uh, so it's four Democrats, two Republicans. And the way things work, if it's that's an even number, which I don't know how people in politics have never learned the lesson that you should just make things odd numbers. It makes it much easier. But so even if you get a 3-3 vote, then on something to release it from committee, it does not get released from committee. It has to be a majority. Um, so you can only lose, you cannot lose any Democrats in a House Appropriations Committee. Um, however, in this, so this was held on Thursday, so we're on, we're doing this on Monday, May 23rd. So the previous Thursday, which was like 19th, I think, um, they have a House Appropriations Committee, they hear it, and then there's a motion to release. Uh, Kim Williams and Dave Benz voted to release it. Uh, Bill Carson and Stephanie Bolden voted not to release it, as well as Kevin Hensley. So it went down on a 3-2 vote. Ruth Briggs-Kings was absent, but would have been a no as well. So at the moment, the bill is currently stalled in committee. At any point, they can change their votes and they can walk it and they can bring it to the floor for a full vote. But at the moment, unless either of them change their vote, this bill is done for the year. So the 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 big uh, the big crybaby Stephanie Bolton, uh, she's gonna she's she's gonna I mean, is is it a combination between what she got and and now she's like just gonna be stubborn because she got her she got her feelings hurt? I think that's a part of it. Like I mean, she receives money from BPG. I think she's pretty bought in with the general idea that they're selling of gentr- gentrification, reno- whatever you want to call it, renovation, whatever. Uh, obviously, there's like a whole plan for the east side now, which is in her district. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a it's a generation divide too. Like a lot of the older representatives, even if they're in lower income or working class communities, just are they're friends with the landlords, they're friends with the realtors, they're friends with the people. Like that's it's they're friends very with all the big pastors who are also landlords. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even if two thirds of their if their constituents are renters, and as in Stephanie Bolton's case, they and uh, Carson has a lot of renters too because he he represents all of Smyrna, which has a few big townhouse neighborhoods and apartments, okay. and uh, some of North Dover as well, which also has some renters. Um, so both these people, like Dave Bentzel, like Kim Williams, doesn't really have a lot of renters. So like I can understand Kevin Hensley doesn't have a lot of renters. Like I can maybe understand that, but these people represent a lot of people whose lives would be very much benefited by this. Um, and I just don't think it's very cool that they voted no. And 
uh, I think they have different reasons for doing that. So with the Bolden, like obviously there's the stuff that we talked about before. For Bill Carson, he is very close with leadership. Um, so obviously he's a big Pete Schwarzkopf fan. And this might be a situation where maybe I don't think he's in strong support of it and it's like, oh, just holding his tongue. But, you know, I think this is probably a case of leadership um, flexing his muscle a little bit, saying like, yeah, we don't want this to go through right now, even though I think it has the votes. It needs a simple majority. So you'd only need 21 votes out of 26 Democrats. If you lose Bolden, if you lose Carson, if you lose Pete, lose Bush, maybe you still have 22 votes there. You can lose another person as well. Um but that is, and you know, when I, if, whenever I'm like talking in the here and, and we like hedge about like, oh, is this going to be able to happen? Or like, oh, we shouldn't do this or that. It's because it's, you know, the legislative process is this labyrinth that Pete Schwarzkopf's allowed to design that we have no control over. And so what commit, so for example, like with minimum wage last year, you should put that in labor committee. It's a labor bill. But labor's tend to Democrat to Republican. You put it in econ development because you want to try to you want to try to move it a little bit slower, because that is eight five Democrat to Republican, and the chair and vice chair are, you know, very close with the Chamber of Commerce. And so that was only after a lot of lobbying, both on the ground and from other people, that that was able to get through. Um, and now you see it here. You could just walk it out of admin. Um, so f for people who don't know, walking a bill is basically instead of having a huge committee hearing, holding a vote on it, motion to release, you just get everybody to sign the back of it. You know, just when you see them around the legislative hall, you just say, hey, can you sign this? We want to get this out. And then they do. Most bills out of appropriation just get walked. So if the money's in the budget, if the money's available, they just walk it. And the money is in the budget. But with some of these bills, they're holding these hearings basically so that they can more publicly not move it out. So appropriations has had two hearings this entire legislative session. That means since January 2021, they've moved out dozens of bills. But now you get situations like this where now this is getting held up and it's hard not to see that as leadership trying to slow this down. Well, it's hard not to see it that way because that's what's happening. Yeah. You know, I mean... I mean, I can't say anything 100% for sure because I'm not in Pete Schwarzkopf's head, but that's what it feels like is happening. Well, again, if this was something that... Uh, that they wanted to happen, it would it would it would probably happen. Uh, that's just the way the things work. Like yeah. the the labyrinth, the the convoluted labyrinth of like choices, like the choices that are made just from an administrative standpoint about the process can work. I mean, you just explained two or three different ways, but the process can work a number all these different ways, and so you can just decide whether you're gonna you know. Do it the easy way, the hard way, the very hard way, the under the secret way, the public way. Yeah, that all that's fake. Um, I, I, what we need to do is exactly what you just did: break it down and explain that it has nothing to do with. And this is why I think people get um, a little bit cynical too, because you ask them to get involved and vote, but it really doesn't have to have to do with that. A lot of these processes are undemocratic. Well, yeah, I mean, it is why you have to vote because you have to get people in to change leadership because the leadership's the one that make the rules. But it's it's a system that is really it can be very hard to motivate people because it's in fits and stops like you do a lot of work over a period of time. And over that period of time, nothing changes. You're doing more and more and more and more and more. 
but nothing changes because the structure of power is still the same. And that's why we really emphasize on building those long-term structures and building those long-term systems because something, everything change, everything changes at once. You get just over this little bump and suddenly the possibilities are way different. So like minimum wage is a perfect example of that because most of our victories in 2020 were in the house. You know, we had four people like four WP candidates win there, but the biggest victory was Marie Pinkney because she took out Dave McBride, who was one of the people holding up 15 and that enabled the change in leadership to people who were more in support. So previously the Senate used to be the conservative body. You'd have Dave McBride and Nicole Poor who would bury these things in committee uh, minimum wage was introduced in 2019 and got stuck in Senate Labor Committee because it was being run, you know, that was being run by people who were actively working to kill it. But you have this one election victory that opens up a spot in leadership that allows a different group of people. And because you had Sarah McBride and Kyle Vinsky win, now you have a different leadership ticket that's able to run, win by, I believe, one vote. I don't know for certain because those things are private, but if you do a mental whip count that's probably what it worked out to um just because this one person won their election we were able to completely change how the senate's run um and it wasn't just wp like obviously brian townsend who you know i disagree with on plenty of stuff but he's more progressive than david bride was certainly he's certainly more open to it he's certainly more open to it yeah and like there's some things he'll block as well which i get frustrated by but that's whatever it is so like you know it's different forces converging at the same time and you never know exactly when it's going to hit just like that and in 2020 we got i'm not going to say totally lucky because there was obviously a lot of work that got put into it but like certain things hit at the right time and suddenly we can get minimum wage some suddenly we can get paid family medical leave still can't get leobor still can't get tennis right to counsel at least right now but like that's so much more than was available before and you never know well sometimes you do know which blocks you got to knock over for that to be possible um, and that's what, you know, there's certain people in the house right now that if they got taken out, that would open up really huge opportunities. Um, and there's multiple ways to do that. You can challenge people directly in primaries. You can try to win enough primaries to win enough for a governing majority in the caucus. You can try to win 21 votes because the speaker vote needs 21. Um, so there's a lot of different avenues, but inevitably that's what has to happen because if, the people who are in charge are a retired cop, the president of the Police Athletic League, and another retired cop. That's inevitably going to limit what's able to happen. And yeah, that has to change. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and you're, you know, I, I guess I'm just, I, I'm the one always pushing it because, yeah, we changed. And, and again, there is a pretty good relationship to that, to the minimum wage bill. Uh, of changing leadership and being able to do that. Um, and so I, I I don't want to get too excited about changing the leadership of the House, but when that happens, as you said, it, it could really trigger a... Uh, that's that's re- really when the when the dam breaks, I, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah probably, you know, it's going to take Possibly, a though, and I mean, because there's so... Because it's a system that's been around for so long, there's so many different levels to it. Because, for example, if you take what happened with paid family medical leave, um, which has happened to every bill except for $50, which props to Jack Walsh, like another person we don't agree on with everything, but definitely agree with him on labor stuff. He picked a number. 
He picked a timeline, he stuck with it throughout the entire process, and he worked vigorously to kill anything that stood in his way. Like, I, I respect that. That was a really good thing. But he did that because the votes were there. Like, if the votes were there, he wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, he was able to, I think, move things that might not have been quite there to being there. But, like, but so take paid family medical leave. So that was a thing that the governor's office was one of the big, was the, the main thing pushing that. And it was because the Chamber of Commerce was pushing that. But the reason that they were able to do that, so you, you have a few different angles because they were aligned with the Chamber of Commerce, but the Chamber of Commerce is relied, aligned with several legislators. So the governor's office had a lot of power because you have like three or four votes that could have killed the bill that weren't even involved in the process, but they're following the same line. So you're still going to have all these situations. So in some cases, it'll be because a block of legislators aligned. In some cases, it'll be because the governor's office or some institution that already exists is still standing that way because i mean you could see it in certain things like if you're trying to reform the department of corrections who you have is the doc um uh, the whatchamacallit the director of that department department or division that matters and that is something that you cannot change in one election cycle you have to go around the back and get rid of the governor who then appoints to do and so there's all these different ways to get all these different levers of change um and that's why these things do take time. And some of them we're probably never going to quite get rid of. Because, uh, you know, I think we support the popular position on most things. But some things are going to take a little bit of extra work to get people around on our side. Um, and, you know, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of connections. Uh, both some legitimate, I think, in terms of, like, community connections, civic leaders, stuff like that. And others that are just like, oh, this person has a lot of money. They can help us out in this. So, you know, it takes time to get around to those different things. But I think something like changing house leadership would do a lot. Um, hopefully, well, no, we'll definitely get a different governor in 2024, and I think that should help. Hopefully it'll be whoever the most progressive choice is in that race. Um, and, yeah, but then even something in municipalities, counties, gov departments, all these things are can be benefits on some areas. They can be bad on some others. So, like, you know. We have someone really good in OMB right now who can maybe be an ally in certain things that wasn't possible before. Um, but then you have in other departments where it's like, okay, this person is going to actively try to kill any good thing that we try to do. Regardless of, you could have 41 WP legislators in there and you still wouldn't be able to get anything done. Um, so, yeah, it's a... I, I've grown to really appreciate how kind of nuanced it is, but also kind of how... It's nuanced in terms of how it works, but it's very straightforward in what has to happen. Because, yeah, like there's these very different levels of power, checks and balances, all that jazz. But at the end of the day, you have to build that community and group of people in all the different areas. That that includes in government, that includes in the legislature, probably going to include in the judiciary at one point. It includes in the community, building up different groups of people to replace the people of power with people who have better goals that are backed by stronger grassroots movements that really represent people and not sort of the very limited group of people we have right now. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's so important to, to listen to what people say and see what they really back. You know, if, if somebody's looking to just kill everything somebody's trying to do because they're, that's just, you know, they're just going to water stuff down. So anything that happens, the people, uh, need to, um, really differentiate the people who have that mindset, the working families party and others and the people who don't, 
because we don't have a lot of it's going to we we already accept that it's going to take a long time we already accept that as you said a lot of the stuff we're never really going to get to maybe you can work around it or or supersede it in some fashion um so we're already we're already in a long timeline don't make it worse <laughs> don't make it worse yeah so last last one speaking of um intransigence at the governor's level speaking of uh, arcane uh, rules legislative rules uh has Carney vetoed the the, uh, the marijuana that came that was like a rumor he was going not to not officially yet that i've heard but everybody that kind of knows what's what says he's going to that's awesome i'm smoking this for you john <laughs> <laughs> i just think it's so great because <clears throat> you know they 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 tried to do you know the regular bill the big bill that had <clears throat> The regulation in it had the tax in it had it even had like the sort of the ease of it's funny usually they want to make it easy to do business Delaware's big thing is it's easy to do business we're business friendly so they put this what we're going to do is we'll make it equitable so anybody you know have mom and pop shops and you don't have all this corporate influx but in, but in that context we're not pro, we're not pro business we're pro a certain kind of business yeah yeah so we, we so it didn't pass last session. This session we come back, still doesn't pass. They strip all. So last session it was more about the equitable part of it. Well, actually, it actually people didn't so want it, that. It didn't pass last year. It got locked up last year, and then actually did that same bill did come to a vote after like some small smaller amendments, and then it, it failed. Right. So it explicitly like it got up to a vote this year. It failed. Edizinski did not switch his vote to a no. So it's. One of those dumb procedural things where you can change your vote to a no and then you're allowed to bring it back. It's one of those things. Yeah. He did get it for the 372 this time, so props to Edizinski for being quicker to the quicker to the draw there. Yeah, he did something and was um because what's his name was missing. Mitchell. Mitchell was missing, so they fucked up, so he did that. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> so so that ha- so so then the full bill finally does get defeated. Yeah. Then the story is that. Schwarzkopf's like, yeah, everybody hates this, but just decriminalize and legalize an ounce for every adult. Yeah, no, like, no mechanism to buy it to buy it in a retail way. No, like, ta- no, nothing else. Like, it just falls from the sky. We know you guys have it, you motherfuckers. So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do this. So that requires a particular vote. It gets the vote, passes. Now, how much? How many more days does he have left? Because le- legislation uh, session, so a week. He has I a think. week now. Because he time is a ticking. It's one of the, another very silly thing where the way it works in, with a bill is that he has, I think, ten days, or he has a certain amount of time from the time it lands on his desk. And when I say lands on his desk, that is a literal thing. I don't know if it's his desk specifically, but it has to be physically placed somewhere. And like, there's been things in the past where apparently they will try to sneak it into like his pile just so that he has to take action on stuff um so he you know it arrived either physically or metaphorically on his desk last week um and so now yeah he has a certain timeline that he has to take action that i believe it's the 31st that okay because it does that and does that have to do with because they're out of session now for two weeks right yeah so so that's not affected by it other than yeah so that's it's all up to him now so it's not let so in the legislature, you have to hear certain things within a certain amount of time, technically. Very big quotes on that because that's one where they just don't enforce it. 
And it's like, oh, it has to be heard in 12 legislative days. But legislative days means days that they're in session, which is usually once a week. And they're out of session half the time anyways. So 12 legislative days just means the entire session usually. Um, but with that, it is, you know, I think it's 10 days or two weeks or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, he can either sign it, he can veto it, and then it would have to come back up for a vote. And they have to get three-fifths in each house. Or he can just not do anything with it, and then it becomes law without a signature. Yeah, I mean, I was... Um... I was thinking, I was leaning towards do nothing because I knew he was, I mean, him signing it was out of the question yes. to me. That's that's out of the question. Now, he could troll me. I mean, come on, Big John. You could troll me. You could sign it. You could say, yeah, you see, can own us. I told you. You told me you were on my step, you coward, with with uh, with Bud Friel, Kevin Kelly, and... Uh, What's her name? The uh, the lieutenant governor, Bethany, Bethany Hall Long. I saw you on my stoop, and I said, "You might luck out this session and not have to fucking uh, review a marijuana legalization." He goes, "Oh, you you might be surprised." Oh, well, let's well surprise me, John. Surprise me. You said it on my fucking stoop. Now you got the watered down. You got the watered down easiest thing to do. And you don't even have to do anything. You just, just just fucking sit on your fat ass. Let's surprise us. Yeah, we'll be shocked. But I was leaning towards that. But now, I guess... But I also don't want to get caught up in, like... In a lot of gossip talk. That's a lot of bullshit. Because I... I woke up one morning this week. And I saw a message basically implying that Carney had vetoed it. From one of our friends on social media. Yes. And so I'm like, did he do it? And then I noticed it wasn't in any, like, it wasn't in the news journal. It wasn't where I would expect it to be. So I'm like, okay, well, this maybe he didn't do it. And then in my timeline later that day, I see, like, the first mention of it was by fucking Matt Biddle at Planned Parenthood. That guy doesn't know shit. Yeah. Not fucking. Well, he's still got his sources. What if, what's this, what if he's the original guy? And we're, we're, we're banking on this. We're banking on a Matt Biddle. I mean, he was the Scoop. first person who tweeted about it in terms of right. like a public thing. And okay. it looked very official because he's a spear reporter. Um, but uh, I, 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 he's not the only source I've heard that from. That Yeah, but you never know now because you never know who it is because it all could come, be coming from one source. Yeah. We don't know. Could be fucking who knows. What's his name? That goofy guy who's, uh, who's the comms guy for the governor. Starkey. Starkey. Could be a Starkey. Could be Starkey Malarkey. I'm not falling for Starkey Malarkey. Also a former reporter. Also a former reporter. That's well, I've how, told you that's how things work. What's that? That's how things work here. Yes. Well, that is a little bit uh, strange, but hey, yeah, half the Democratic professional comms people are worked at the News Journal before. Yeah. Hey, man. I mean, Shoop. Shoop just does both at the same time. Yeah. He just does both. He. That's what he does. So you know. But. uh yeah, I, 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 I just don't think. I, 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 I'm still betting on him doing nothing, even though I do think that some of these rumors are probably. Like, I mean, if Starkey, just because Starkey's saying it, I mean, he is the governor's comms guy, so he could be floating it for any reason. You know. Well, the go- the governor's official statement. I don't think it was from Starkey, but it was from one of his people. Was that the governor's position has not changed? Like that was the statement, which right. doesn't. But re- that doesn't really mean. Yeah, that could mean that right. mean he could it do means nothing. He probably won't sign it, but like, yeah, he might just do. Nothing. Yeah, 
The problem is what I said before to um, uh, Jonathan. Like, the, the reason, what, the fact that it's illegal is irrelevant only in certain situations. Like when the cops want to search you. Yeah. Or the cops want to fuck with you or whatever. Like, that's the only time. And I don't know whether any of this, like, how does that, I want to know how any of this impacts that. I want to know how either one of them, the regulation one or just the legalization one, both together, how does that impact what happened to Lyman Moses? When the cops stick their fucking head in the car, it smells like weed in here. Well, who gives a shit? Right? I mean, I can have, it's sitting there. I can have up to an ounce. There it is. Like, why are you even saying that? Like, and I don't know how any of this addresses that. So fuck it. Keep it the way yeah. it is. I mean, I'll that, smoke that illegally. Gets, Suck, I guess like, back to the sort of what you're talking about earlier, where it's like, yeah, it'll address certain parts of that, probably. Um, but as long as we have a militarized police force that's allowed to basically just summarily execute people, then like, you know, then you could argue that reforming Leobar would actually do more to prevent that kind of stuff than legal weed. 100%. I agree um, with that 100%. That's my position, actually. Which is, you always got to do, you know, you always got to make sure you're hitting the different angles. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at the, the most the recent case with the... Now, it was in Georgia. But for some reason, these uh, Georgia sheriffs down there pulled over uh, Dell State lacrosse yeah, team or yeah. something. And are going through all They're their shit the to drugs. look for the joint where you guys got the drugs, where you put your where you put your reefer. Like, what is this? Nineteen? It's like fucking Jim Crow shit. She's in. Yeah, it's they just pulled up right out of my cousin Vinny or something. Yeah, real old fashioned Jim Crow stuff, screaming right to your TikTok. But but again, like and 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 unfortunately, Georgia. That's that that's a state that's probably I don't know. It's not it's possible though. They're they're starting to change a little bit, but not in these areas. Uh, but. But like, if it was in the st- like, how if that was uh, in Maryland or, or Delaware, like, what are, is that even a thing that the cops are going to be able to do to say where's your weed? Because it's fine now, right? Well, you just say, oh, they have an ounce and then a little crumb over the ounce. Uh, that move. You're right. Yeah, it's and always that, that's because I think it should just be, and there's reasons why it couldn't be. I'm sure, but like. Yeah, the up to the now, and that became the whole debate on the floor when they were doing the vote on it. Was like, oh, how, wait, how much is an ounce? No one had any clue how much an ounce. Was. That was so funny that that was so funny that they didn't know. Not you know, not all of them are uh, are stoners or sold yeah. sold drugs. <laughs> like that's easy. Get your cal. Can, does somebody have a? Uh, can somebody Google it? Get the calculator on your phone. Well, at least for some of the marijuana, maybe is not their judge of tro- their drug of choice. Though I know some of them particular, uh, you know. They partake in other stuff. Are they sort of like? Are they doing? I can't imagine those goofballs. They're just drinking, right? I mean, they're not. They're like some of them. Some of them are doing other stuff. We got coke. We got cokeheads down there, and I don't know it. Choo. No comment. So to wrap up, you got to think of working families party as like, uh, as like the tool, the toolbox. Everybody's got to ju- everybody's got to get in there and use to the best of their ability the different tools. And what I couldn't remember I was going to mention it because you you talked about 
all of these different ways, all these different pressure points within the political structure, like in the state, and you could go try to get this many votes or try to change leadership. And you think about like, okay, who's who's uh, who's vulnerable in their district, and how can we get them, and why? But ultimately, you're doing that because there's a set of ideas. It's not a game. It's not like uh, we beat that team. Our team wins. Yeah, it's not. It's not risk or whatever. Right. It's, go. it's not a fucking game. I don't care about this person. I don't care about personalities. I don't care about, uh, you know, colors. Uh, I don't care about slogans. I don't care about any of that. There has to be action and movement. And you called it something. You were like, uh, to gain some sort of power, but governing power. Governing power. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so governing power, there's a lot of different ways uh, you can apply pressure. But you have to but you have to be doing it. Like we talk about unions, like there's unions for different kinds of workers that uh, people are situated like that politically, like you would be at work, just like because you, just, you live here. And the best place to exercise that solidarity with people who are just like you is with the Working Families Party. This is not to disparage uh, DSA. I think they're doing great work. They're trying. I have a lot of... Uh, join DSA as well. Yeah, join DSA. We need all of these. I mean, we said Delaware United got so big, but then they kind of moved into the Working Families Party world. You know, there's going to be... This is how we're going to build... This is how we're going to build the tools to then try to get the governing power. Yeah. Like, That's what it is. My suggestion beyond obviously joining Working Families Party, volunteering, becoming a member, all that stuff, like... Working Families Party, I think, is important. And obviously, I think it's important. I, I work there. Um, but I think it is one part of the puzzle because I think we can apply certain pressure. We can go into the political system. We can do this and that. But yeah, organize your workplace. If you work at a Delaware Starbucks, let me know. If you want to unionize it, a lot of people are doing it. It's the cool thing to do now. But even like other places like that, if we get more people into unions, if you join your local civic association, if you join your local RD committee, if you join, you know, Talk, take one afternoon and go up and down your block and introduce yourself to everybody. Little stuff like that. Like we have to start building these connections both with each other and with these institutions that allow people who really do want to get stuff done to get in those positions where they're able to get stuff done. Because if you know everybody on your block, you have a lot more leverage than if you're just by yourself. Because you can talk to them and if you get them on your side, then you have... 10, 20, 50 people going with you instead of just you. And that makes a difference. That makes a difference in elections. So only people have to talk to you. That kind of stuff really does matter, um, both on a granular level if you're just trying to get your sidewalk fixed, but also on a bigger level if you're trying to repeal Leobor, something like that. So, you know, we got to get organized. Um, and it's been really tough over the last few decades to do that, but it's happening. And WHP is a part of that. It's not all of it. Um, but... We're always, you know, free to take in people who want to learn more. Yeah, that's that, that's 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 the inspiration. That's what we got. We have to start thinking this way. And I can tell you, I know that there's an old adage, right? That like people don't, uh, they're they don't they like socialism until they have to go to the meetings. And so it's like you see, but these civic association meetings can be great. The mayor comes. You can yell at the mayor. You can make it fun. Or you could it's just... Of, it's a lot better if you have three people who agree with you there, too. Exactly. The more, the merrier. Oh, believe me. The, the, the best 
The best time to get kicked out of something is when one of your comrades has just been kicked out and another one's following you out. Yep. And again, if you're not confrontational, you don't have to do this stuff. You can yeah, do I'm not confrontational at all. Like, <laughs> you don't have to do this stuff. I think if, if you listen to the Highlands Bunker podcast, you can tell the difference between mine and Rob's personality. Yeah. There's a place for both. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something I've said it before, and I, I don't think I've said it lately, so I'll say it again. This is one of the Drew series geniuses. Is like <clears throat> just building a relationship with somebody as your friend and being like, you know what I think you might be good at? <coughs> and then you just figure out if you like it and do that. And then all of a sudden, you're like uh, you're like our friend Greg and you're, you're proofreading documents. Because this is what he likes to do. Yep. So, again, it, there, there's... You fit. It's not a matter of, like, you don't know what to do. The apparatus is there, and you fit in it. You know, we're all situated <clears throat> to politics and to society and to your health care and to your education, all of that. We're all situated together against the, the thing that's, you know, sucking everything out of us. We all know what it is. I'm not going to get into a big Marxian fucking rant now. So that's the connection. We'll all figure it out as we go. And one of the big ways we're figuring out is the Working Families Party. So there will be all of the, uh, all the links will be in there. And I cannot stress this enough, folks. Left is best. 